Welcome to the Life Size City Urbanism Podcast. I'm Michael Koval Anderson. The conversation about urban cycling continues around the world. Reestablishing the bicycle as transport in our cities is more important than ever before. Through my work over the past 15 years, I never cease to be amazed at the network I have developed. It's as inspiring as it is humbling. Like anyone else, I myself need inspiration, and so many people I have met through my work continue to provide it. I continue to feed off of it. There are certain individuals, however, that go above and beyond when it comes to their passion for cities and for urban cycling. I was on a quick trip to Milan to speak at the Triennale about urban design. The night before, it was obvious what I was going to do. I was going to hang out with two good friends, a couple of go-to people whenever I'm in the city. As an increasingly intrepid podcaster, I had my recording gear with me, and I realized that there is a story that needs a wider audience. Pinar Pinzuti and her husband Paolo are two of the strongest voices for urban change through the bicycle in Italy and have been for many years. They are an important influence in the conversation about making cities better. They master the art of communication and advocacy. We had drinks and dinner planned, but then I proposed to Pinar that we meet up beforehand to talk about one of her amazing projects that went off the charts around the world this year. The Fancy Women Bike Ride. For many years, Pinar has called herself a cycling brainwasher, doing everything she can to further the conversation about getting bikes back into our cities. Her energy and enthusiasm is contagious and addictive. We've known each other for many years. We share the same desire for change and have utilized many of the same tools. I usually try to record this podcast outdoors with a cityscape as an audio background. That evening in Milan, however, was rainy and it wasn't letting up, so we had to find an alternative location. We popped into the ADI Design Museum and sat down at a table with a glass of wine. It perhaps isn't the most podcast-friendly location. It was nearing closing time and the staff were cleaning up in the background. But imagine, if you will, that you're at the cafe of the Design Museum in Milan, at a table with Pinar and I, as we talk about the hows and whys of the fancy women bike ride, about the cycle chic movement that I started, and the importance of empowering women to embrace the bicycle. Normal bicycles, of course. Which remains, despite amazing progress over the past 15 years, all the more challenging in what still is, by and large, a male-dominated, gear-fixated, spandex-clad cycling world. But hey, we have a secret weapon, Pinar Pinzuti, and her fancy ladies on bikes. Okay, Pinar, on the 18th of September, 2021, women all over the world dressed up in their finest clothes and rode bicycles, and it's your fault. Yes, it is. Tell me, tell me, <laughs> let's just start with what the hell happened there? This is Fancy Women Bike Ride, uh, which is a grassroots movement of women on bicycles, which started in 2013 in Turkey, in Izmir, in, in my city where I was born. 
and uh, grown in something that I cannot control anymore. <laughs> so this year we were in um, 30 countries, um, more than 150 cities, because I cannot tell the exact number, um, because there are cities that are not really applying to us, but just hosting the event. They just went for a bike ride. They heard about it and just got on they their bikes. They like in India, for example, yeah. and uh, like in Indonesia, and uh, they just want to be the part of this bigger thing. It was a success this year because everyone just wanted to be outside because last year we had to skip it. So no public mass rides, but only these um, smaller rides with friends. But this year it was a huge success. So it was uh, pent up frustration around the world, of course, because of uh, Corona and restrictions. So that was, they needed to get out, um, all these people, but uh, but it was always also, it's also been growing in popularity through the years, hasn't it, since 2013? Yes, correct. So 2013, it was a single event in the city of Izmir. Um, and uh, it was just, we created this Facebook event. And uh, I want to mention this. Uh, we were looking for a picture of a lady on a commuter bicycle with casual clothes. We couldn't find one Turkish photo. Um, we didn't have those photos. And uh, so we took one from Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Was so, it my photo? I think so. Probably. <laughs> I have 30,000 photos of people on bikes. You probably took it, yep. So we knew about the cycle chick. Mm. And uh, so those images were already on Google Images. So we looked for a lady photo and we used that photo to promote the event for the, that first ever women-only bicycle ride in Turkey. And then the, the photos of the event were all over the media, in TV and uh, in newspapers. We received many, many messages from all around Turkey, uh, from the ladies who wanted to host the event in their cities. In 2013 was the first event and in 2014 we were already in 10 cities, hosting the event on the same day, almost at the same time. Uh, with the common message. And uh, then after a couple of years, in 2016, I moved to Milan and the event came to Europe. Came with you. Came with me and then it was all over. I mean, now we are in all the continents. Now, that's what's cool about it is, now I'm making it sound like I'm, I've never heard of it, right? Of course I've heard of it, we know each other, full disclosure, but <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool that it started in if you don't mind me saying, an unlikely place. Correct. Uh, Izmir, right? Yeah. Uh, this kind of thing, like obviously Copenhagen with uh, the Cycle Chic blog and all of that. But I mean, I think it's great that it started in a place like that and then exported itself to Europe, not the other way around, which has been the case with most of the bicycle movement, right? From Europe and then abroad. Correct, so, yeah. correct. So, I mean, we were used to see the photos or the movements um, which were coming up from the European cities. Uh, we have never had uh, such a beautiful event in Turkey. So it was very encouraging for, for, for the women in Turkey to see something was born in Turkey. So they embraced, embraced it and protected it. So I liked it very much. This is maybe the reason why this year we had these events in uh, countries where cycling is not so popular. They say if they do it in Turkey, maybe we can do it here as well. So we were in Mexico, for example, in smaller cities, not, not Mexico City, but in smaller cities in Mexico uh, or in, in Indonesia. Uh, the 
first ever women event in India in which they called it a milestone event because it was the first time that women were in the streets to reclaim public space. Cool. Yeah. Now I, I, I have a whole collection of vintage bicycle posters, some physical, many of them digital. I have one from India from 1970 okay. for an Indian brand. And this is, you know, beautifully dressed Indian woman in the, in the full Indian, uh, you know, clothing, uh, standing there with a bicycle as a, a huge poster. So I'm wondering also, you said you couldn't find a photo from uh, from Turkey of, uh, of a woman on, mm -hmm. a, on a normal bike. Now, I've done some research with Egypt, for example, and all these archive photos where cycling was completely normal. I know it was the same in mm -hmm. Turkey, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you grew up there. Uh, do you remember bikes when you were a kid or uh, do your parents remember riding bikes? My parents. Yeah. I, I do not remember any grown up person on bicycles from my childhood. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but my mother, yes, and uh, she says that when they were going to school, they hardly found the place to park their bicycles or in the evening when all the families were cycling to the open air cinemas that they couldn't find a parking spot for their bicycles. So this was Turkey in the 50s, uh, where not everyone could afford to have a, uh, have a car and uh, the street or road infrastructure was not like today. So people were using bicycles and then our cities were invaded by cars. Cheap, ugly cars. Yeah. <laughs> and we know how that worked we, we, we out know or, that. Or, or didn't work out really. <laughs> yeah. So what was the inspiration for starting Fancy Women Bike Ride? Like you, you've got like ideas appear in our heads. When did it appear in your head and why? It was, <clears throat> I started my cycling brainwasher carrier in 2006. Um, I was the first female bicycle blogger of Turkey. Uh, I was writing in Turkish, in German, in English and in Italian. Uh, everything that I was learning about urbanism, car-free cities, uh, 30 kilometer zones and everything. So everything I was learning, I was writing on my blog. So I knew the power of content, the digital content, placing the right word in the right space for the people who would look for that in the near future, I was hoping. And then one day, a neighbor of mine came to me and said she was 39 on those days. Sema said, um, yeah, I just learned how to ride a bicycle and I want more women to get in cycling. But the cycling world is so much male dominated and it, from outsiders, it looks like if you don't have Lycra, you cannot ride a bicycle. If you don't have legs, you are not a cyclist. If you don't have the latest carbon frame bicycle, you cannot participate to the cycling events can we please change it and this was the face of the cycling and the cyclists in turkey in 2010 2011 uh, we wanted to show the community especially our community in our city that there was another face of cycling and it was the best idea we had was let's show it let's do it in person but if i ride on my own to work with my casual clothes nobody spots me but if we do in a mess so the idea of critical mass but in a fun way with a smile in our in on our faces 
then maybe somebody would ask what are these women are doing. So there was this Facebook event with your picture mm. <laughs> on the cover. And there we were inviting people with simple rules. This event had, a, had this five rules from the very beginning. You should participate with your own bicycles. I'm not going to give you a bicycle. So you should be able to cycle very slowly and you have to wave your hand uh, to the pedestrians that are looking very strangely to you. And uh, the other one was smiling because we knew that people will take photos of us and nobody likes her face, his face on a photo with, you know, not smiling. So we said after that event, if they see their beautiful pictures, maybe they would like to use it in social media and maybe it would become their profile photo for the rest of the year and somebody with that photo would see the bicycle in it. So it was product positioning actually. <laughs> <laughs> so this this was the idea. We, we, we Our manifesto, the very first manifesto, I remember it, the first line, it changed in the years, of course, this manifesto and the messages. Uh, but the first line was, we want to cycle safely and with our casual clothes, where we want to go, like in the Northern European countries. <laughs> <laughs> those are the those are the two greatest. I didn't know you had those rules. You have to wave and smile. Like those are the best rules ever, right? And this I've, is exactly the opposite. You know, I mean, think of any cycling picture on the mainstream newspapers. Those are ninety nine percent from a cycling competition event. Guys never smile, so they have this very tough face and cool cool face and uh, they have, want to show that they're suffering and sweating and it's all about speed. So on the place of speed, we put the slowness and uh, on this cool face, the smile. Mm. I, I wouldn't smile if I had to wear that spandex. I think I would just be sad. <laughs> I would just, I would, I would just, you know, I would never smile. No, but okay. The, the, <laughs> because I've seen all the photos through the years, Pinar, like, you know, and yeah, it's all these women smiling and waving, but it's because it's two it, it's rules. That's awesome, but they're the best rules ever. Oh my God. So tell me about the name. Cause yeah. like, you know, there's a lot of things to choose from. And uh, is it Turkish? Like fancy women, like you translated from Turkish? Or yeah. I mean, well, where did you get the name fancy women bike ride? So the world in Turkish is much fancier than the word fancy in English. Uh, it is very provocative because it's the word süslü, which is a woman who's putting on so many things that it's almost ridiculous, actually. Okay. But this is not a world that we have given to ourselves in Turkey. So this was a terminology used by men to describe women which had some too much makeup on or some colorful clothes on them. So we want to provoke that. Okay, you call me that, I want to be that. And let me show you how I can be so much susless or so much fancy. Um, in the first years, we were criticized by women mostly by women, they said, I'm not fancy. I'm, I never, we're fancy things, so am I not allowed to participate? And we said, you can come, I mean, you can wear anything you want, just, just be there. And if you want to be fancy, it's the perfect occasion because nobody would point at you and say, how are you dressed actually? Um, and then after three years, I had my first interview with an American magazine and they asked me to translate a word because in, they used the Google translator and they wanted to call the event cycle chic. 
Cycle I, chic. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Cycle chic's bike ride, they called it. So if you Google it, you will find us. And I said, but cycle chic, the word chic is telling the woman that she has to dress chic. But there are so many women who do not have chic clothes in in their houses. So we don't we didn't want to give the woman the rule of how she should be dressing, but using her fantasy uh, to decide what you want, what she wanted to wear. So um, it's not exactly the word in Turkish. And uh, there's one thing I have to confess it for the first time. <laughs> I googled fancy woman three years ago, only the word fancy woman. And you know what that means? That it has it was used in the thirties in America. What, in English you're talking about yes. now. Fancy women in English. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't tell this. But anyways, oh, I'm yeah. going to tell it. Um Do it. so yeah, I'm not a native, so I, I I couldn't have known this. Fancy woman was used in the thirties in the United States uh, for the woman who was the mistress of a married man. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so my husband said to me, oh my gosh, you invented something with that name, like the horse ride or something. And I said, I was very sad. I mean, it was it was horrible for me. And then the next day I said, okay, it's again men telling women, calling them in that way. So I want to change the description, the meaning of that word. So it's mm. now fancy woman. <laughs> that's, that's great. But then I'm not worried for you because if it was the 1930s, like I have never heard that expression ever, you know, so I think you're, I think you're safe generally. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Like people nowadays don't go around saying, oh, you have a fancy woman, meaning a mistress. Nobody, nobody knows this expression. Yeah, There's a little still, window of time. It's still my nightmare. But it's that, still funny though. That an American journalist one day would come to me and ask me this question. Like, How comes that you have chosen that name? Oh, that's great. Now, I think... I should say something about cycle chic there because I don't, you know, I talked to some friends and female friends when I made up the phrase many years ago. Um, and chic is just well-dressed. I feel, I feel chic today in what I'm wearing and I'm in Italy where I'm not chic compared no, to what No, you're not chic. I was about to say, no. sorry, Michael, you're no, not no. <laughs> But I mean, I think chic is what you make it. That was always in Danish anyway. Uh, and in my impression of it in English, you know, chic is what you make it, mm. you know? Um, now that hashtag cycle chic has been totally hijacked by the spandex women out there, the, the bike racing spandex crowd. And you just see all this crazy spandex on their racing bikes and go, oh, and you know, whatever, it's the internet, you can't, you know, I'm not going to go and start chasing after a hashtag, God. Um, if they feel chic in their spandex, fine. Again, if they feel chic when they wear that, then that's great. If you feel chic wearing sweatpants and your slippers down to the supermarket on a Sunday with a hangover, great. Like, I don't think anybody... Probably in America, they have a different impression of the word. But I think in, in the European languages and in, in the UK, I think chic is just, you know, pretty chic pretty is, neutral. It's what you make it. Okay, this is, is this your interpretation? Because chic is elegant, actually. Yeah, but then I feel casual. elegant today and you're telling me I don't look elegant. So, but you know what I mean? You're I think casual, come on. It's casual, <laughs> but I still, I, but that, that's the interpretation of it, right? Um, yeah. I never ever thought about it as being uh, fancy or, mm -hmm. or super well-dressed so and in cycle chic there is not only women there is men as well absolutely men can uh, be chic as well so there was never any any gender mm -hmm. um gender differentiation between uh, you know men and women with the word chic it's to sort of do it 
I think Americans have had a little bit of a hard time with the word chic. For, maybe for them, they think mm -hmm. of, you know, Parisians walking down the street all blinged up with, uh, yeah. you know, better clothes than any American will wear, you know. And who cares? Like, it, went, it also went global, right? So that, that's, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, that was, for example, now that you say cycle chic, I mean, I was also posting a lot of photos using that tag when it was really meant to be cycle chic. Um, we didn't want, for example, the men participate to the event. That's why we put the word woman in the event's title. And this is this also comes from when men were inside any event, in any cycling event in Turkey, they wanted to compete. And so it was all about, I'm going to arrive first at the final point, um, final destination. So we said, how can we take out the competition part from this event? And so we put the word women in it uh, to encourage more women, also those who, are, who were not cycling every day, to find that safe space uh, in safety numbers, actually, because they were in a group ride, which had a distance of three kilometers. So Fancy Women Bike Ride, it's a huge event all around the world, but it is a show actually, because you start in the city center and you remain in the city center because this is where we want to be seen. So if anybody comes to me and say, we want to host a ride in a park, I say, no, nobody would see you. I want you in Piazza Duomo or uh, into, uh, under the Tour Eiffel, for example. Uh, so that was the reason uh, that we have taken out the men from our, our event and we have always been criticized also for this decision. Um, I have seen in these years, for example, that some men try to host the event secretly with a fake name uh, in their city because they thought they can do this better than we do. <laughs> so any president of a cycling association, you know, those traditional ones with the yellow jewelry. <laughs> okay, the yellow, the yellow vests, right? Yeah. And uh, so they were secretly hosting the event. And of course, I was finding them out and uh, seeing the rules like, um, yeah, you have to be chic. They were using the world chic, elegant and uh, with very expensive clothes. But at the end of the tour, they were also uh, offering um, a award for the best dressed up woman. Uh, so, or asking for a fee to participate to the ride, which is completely, we are, we are completely against it, for example. No competition, men cannot organize it because we don't want it in that way. If you go back to Sankulshik, um, there are so many cities, if I look at Instagram, I mean, uh, I created the one for Milan, for example, when I moved here, Milan Cycle Chic on Instagram is... is, is oh, I forgot that. You did that. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> Yeah, and then I have seen so many cities uh, having their own accounts and I don't know how many of them, but how did it start actually? This is probably the story I've told the most in my career. Like how, how did you get into I this? I never heard this story. Really? No. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because we're here in November 2021. So on the 14th of November 2006 at 8.46 in the morning, I took a photo. I was on my way to work at Danish Broadcasting where I was a producer and a journalist. And I had always, for many years, 
a camera with me. I've always taken street photography, like for years and years, decades even. Because there were no smartphones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I, now I just use my phone, actually. But um, So I took this one photo in the morning rush hour. It's not even a great photo. And the light's green. Cyclists are pushing off on either side. Uh, cyclists sweeping in from the left. And this woman in front of me hadn't moved yet, which is unusual in Copenhagen. You, the light's green, you go, whether you're in a car or on a bike. And I went, oh, okay. I'm just kind of a pillar of calm in a world of chaos. Okay. And later in the day, I put it on Flickr where I had a big following at that time. And I instantly had mostly, probably all Americans say, dude, how does she ride a bike in a skirt? No male gaze. It was just like, how does she do that? Like it was the most bizarre thing you've ever seen. And I'm going like, who are these people? I knew nothing about what I know now. I was just going, this is strange. This is how you ride a bike, dude. More and more reacted. And I went, this is kind of weird. Like, it, you know, people reacting to normal people on bikes, which was my everyday life and something I had completely never thought about, like most Copenhageners. Then I started taking more pictures of elegantly dressed Copenhageners because it's like shooting fish in a barrel, a very high fashion standard in Denmark, whatever. So I just started taking pictures of people on bikes and I kept posting them to Flickr and people kept reacting like, what? And that kind of started to explode in my face. And then that was kind of getting a bit popular and there was this Danish like architecture and urbanism magazine. He contacted me, he said, you want like a photo spread with all that weird stuff you're doing with normal people on bikes that the world thinks is weird and cool? And I'm like, okay. So I called it Cycle Chic in Danish. Cycle Chic, but same, same thing. And then um, I went, okay, this is going crazy. Like I recognized that it was something that people were reacting to and therefore maybe it's important or interesting. I don't know. 2007. Everybody in the world is starting blogs. Like blogs came around, right? Yes. And I went, oh, fuck I it. Have one. Yeah, but fuck <laughs> it, I'll just start a blog. So if I take more of these photos, I can, I can have like a photo gallery on the internet, mm -hmm. yay for me. And then I started the blog. That had thousands of people within a month, every day. Like it just blew up in my face. And I'm going, this is insane, man. Like why are people eating this up? And so I continued and I started taking more and more photos. Like I had a big camera with me everywhere I went and you know, really started to, to uh, build the, the archive, as it were, posting regularly. And I thought about it back then, like, this is just kind of flashcard advocacy. I'm not saying anything, I'm just showing, showing, showing. Every single day there's a flashcard. And this is what normal people do in a, in a city built for bikes, you know, designed for bikes. It just kept going from there. Uh, later, I started to go, what the hell with this? And I started the other blog, Copenhagen Eyes, and which became my company, which I'm no longer a part of, but I started to investigate why did we get to this level of cycling in Copenhagen, you know? Nobody could tell me that in Copenhagen. And so I had started looking into the historical aspects and that's why I know all the weird stuff I know now today, right? But so those blogs kind of went hand in hand, you know? If you do what I said on so Copenhagen eyes, then you can get the kind of bicycle goodness that you see on Copenhagen Cycle Chic. Didn't take long before somebody contacted me and I can't tell you who the first person was, but somebody said, hey dude, can I start a, with this blog in my city? And I went, yeah, cool. Like, there was never any you know, fee involved. Just do it, do it, do it. Um, so you said, uh, you don't know how many there were. I think we peaked at like 250 cities around the world. Wow. Some of them were there for two months and disappeared. There are still some around, but it's just a handful, really. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and they're all my friends. I know most of them. We've, we had a Cycle Chic Bloggers Conference back in what, 2010 mm -hmm. in Barcelona. We were just like, from Saskia from Sydney, Tiago from Rio, Anne from Montreal. Uh, Miguel from uh, Lisbon. We all just met in Barcelona for like a long weekend, got extremely drunk every day and just had a great time. And, oh, and Joni and uh, Joni from Amsterdam as well. Yeah, so 
that's that re that made me realize there's a community here. So that first conference or meeting meet up in Barcelona, and then. Well, that was sort of when it was established because there were all these people around the world, you know, who had these blogs, and we were all communicating. And oh, Hungary! You can't forget. Aaron from Hungary. I mean, anyway, these are all, I'm trying to remember all the people that we were drunk with in Barcelona <laughs> and, and Tay from Barcelona as well. Whatever, a great, amazing conference. People came from everywhere. What I noticed early on when I started the blog, looking at the demographics, you know, being a guy who understands a bit of media, the majority of all the people coming into the blog early on and still today uh, are women. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't, I had no plans. Like this is a lot of great ideas. You just run with it and you don't think about it and then good things happen. There's a life philosophy for you right there. Women were the primary viewers of the blog and the comments and the emails that I was getting from all over the planet were absolutely touching and beautiful from women saying, I've never seen a woman on a bicycle like that before. And now I am the first one in this town in Montana or this place in, you know, Mexico. And I'm doing it because of this blog. I mean, I can't tell you how, how touching it was every time I got these kind of emails. So that was why I kept mostly taking, you know, photos of, of women in Copenhagen and other cities on bikes because this inspired the, the, the primary users of the blog, which were women. That's something that, you know, a lot of people just assume, oh, it's a bunch of dudes looking at, you know, women on bikes. It was, it was women looking at women and being inspired by inspired. Yeah, how I think, they're like, like the whole concept of, uh, of your uh, fancy woman bike ride, right? This is correct. I think this is the power of photography and the power of this uh, silent communication between peers, I think, because when I see a photo of a um, girl, uh, that wouldn't inspire me because I'm now 43 years old. And when I look at things, when I shop, for example, I want to see something from my age, some person with my interest, and then I can put me in that picture, for example, and I can imagine myself in that, in, in that location or with those clothes or with that equipment and these kind of things. The thing about the cycle shake was you were posting photos from any kind of ages and any type of woman. It was not only the queen or the princess mm. <laughs> with her children, <laughs> but, but also uh, all those working class, for example, um, people in their leisure activities or somebody going for a party. So, oh, elderly ladies as well. I mean, that's yes. never gets old seeing like a you know classy. She doesn't even have to be dressed classy, just like a dignified older lady just rocking her bike in Copenhagen or anywhere else. So, Michael, you don't know it, but I mean, on my blog, <laughs> I was reposting these photos just to, I mean, just to show people that, look, a lady in her 60s, 70s is still cycling to the grocery shop or to wherever she wants to go. And she does that and she doesn't need to put Lycra. Mm. <laughs> And her bicycle is cheaper than her back. Yeah, <laughs> quite often. Yeah. Actually, you no. Know, I just remembered another thing. This perfect storm that I walked into. You know, the other thing was that in 2007, street style blogs. A, there were blogs, and then street style blogs showed up. So, you know, you could go into these blogs and see people stopped on the street. What are you wearing today in Helsinki? And some person from Helsinki, you know, saying, "Oh, I have this jacket from this place and these pants." You know, whatever. All over the world, these, these street style thing. Um, so I, I kind of happily walked into that coincidence as well. And early on, I found it really interesting. 
when I started looking at it, that the fashion industry responded like they always do incredibly quickly to this new trend, this cycle chic, this blog, right? It was voted one of the top fashion blogs on the planet or something. And the Sunday Times was, you know, one of the top 100 blogs in the world. It was insane. All I'm doing is taking pictures while I'm wandering around Copenhagen and it, and it hit those heights, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so it started getting called, you know, a fashion blog. I'm just laughing with my, my ex-wife. I'm going, they're calling it a fashion blog now. What, the, that blog with pe people on bikes? Like, we were just laughing. We're from Copenhagen. We just thought this whole thing was hilarious, you know? Um, but hey, if they want to call it a fashion blog, if I'm getting all of these endless emails from women around the world saying, thank you, keep going, this is amazing. I look at it every single day with my morning coffee. Like, of course you keep going. You're inspiring people with just doing what you're doing, right? And um, I think that was the most beautiful thing early on for me was like realizing that this had not just, you know, oh my God, what are they wearing in Helsinki? Oh, well, look at those shoes in New York today. It's literally inspiring people to get on bikes. Not only, mm -hmm. Michael, because those pictures helped also the brands uh, to put bicycles in their commercials or on uh, their displays in the shops. So I think it was a great product positioning because you were taking the bicycle from its you know, I mean, bicycle was either it was uh, something only for poor who couldn't afford the car or for those uh, who were affording uh, 10,000 euro bicycles, carbon frame bicycles. But there was nothing in between. So, so you showed, I think, that that gap between the normal people, normal people cycling bike, they can afford a car. They have a car at home, but still choose cycling. So. That was, I think, great. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, in Turkey, I can say everybody knew about this blog and everybody was using also these photos to add for the advocacy and to promote cycling in their cities and in their communities. Oh, but still, wonderful. But still, those comments that we were getting in 2006 about the, what she's cycling the secure. How did she do that? How the, this is what I see on Twitter. There's this one picture of mine that I have taken a friend of mine on bicycle with super high heels. And every time he reposts that photo, people comment like, no, this is a fake photo. Nobody can cycle with high heels. And every time I have to comment, look, I do that every day. One of the things that happened early was there was a bunch no, there was one female fashion blogger in Poland. I don't know why Poland was one of the countries that just embraced this super early on. This female fashion blogger, younger, she got a whole bunch of other fashion bloggers in Poland, I think like 30 or 40, to all get their photos taken with their bikes or somebody's bike dressed up like the fashion bloggers now dress up, right? And they sent me this big tribute were all of these photos and it was amazing to think that not just, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm saying when I say older women, but like the, the young kids were getting mm -hmm. into this, you know, right off the bat. And there was this journalist a few years after I started it from somewhere in the world. And she just says, hey, I've been researching why we're all talking bike, 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 bike. Everywhere's talking bike. So I started looking backwards and try to figure out when did this start. And it all ends with that photo that you took, that photo that you took on. 14th of this, uh, November, 2006. Six, and yeah. I went, yeah, I, I kind of knew all that. I didn't think a lot about it. I had another job. I was just doing this on the side sort of thing. And she says, it's like the photo that launched a million bicycles. I'm going, oh my God, call it that. That sounds really awesome. But so it's kind of weird to think that, you know, when I started Cycle Chic and then also Copenhagen Eyes, I was looking around for other blogs, right? And uh, there was like some American blog about cities who were mentioning bikes, but there was no one blog about 
normal people on bikes. Mm -hmm. Anywhere on the planet, it was all, you know, spandexy dudes, right? So, you know, it was a lone voice in the wilderness for a few years. And now, I mean, you know, not just not just you, but also around the world. It's a choir, you know I mean? We don't have to talk so much about it as we did back then, right? Correct. You yeah. can post a photo with high heels and you don't have to go in and answer. There's a hundred people going and dude, like I see that every day, man. I saw that in New York yesterday or whatever, right? Uh, that's really cool that the, the, the choir uh, sings so loud now. Yeah, and there was this other thing about the, about the photography, I think it's um, your pictures all those women or all those men on bicycles, they were all so beautiful looking and so handsome. So this was also the, I think the message of, if you're on a bicycle, you're beautiful. And all these years with the Fancy Women Bike Ride, every single person that has part have participated to our events, um, who was preparing herself for the ride, you know, with may maybe elegant stuff or with maybe casual stuff, but some flowers in her hair, they all felt very beautiful on their bikes. So this feeling beautiful, it's, you know, I mean, it's not happening all the time during the day. Uh, most of the time we feel ugly. I mean, I feel ugly at the moment, for example, but as soon as- I feel as ugly I... too, because you told me I don't look chic. So now I feel like I'm an embarrassment to even be here in Italy. Later on, we're going to post a photo about this podcast, I think. And, um, and every time I'm on my bicycle, I feel beautiful. I mean, that that's, you know, we normally talk about that bicycle gives this feeling of freedom and power. Oh my God, I just feel beautiful. And that feeling, I want to keep repeating. It's Who doesn't want to keep feeling beautiful? Of course, absolutely. And if the bicycle does that, you know, I've, oh man, I got the whole book written about it, right? Copenhagenized, the definitive guide to global I bicycle organism. I know you do. <laughs> That'd be awkward if my friend didn't have it, but um, especially you of all people. But, you know, there's still, you know, I don't know about the narrative. Oh, you know, tell people to ride bikes because they'll feel happy. And, you know, my hardcore opinion is like, no, you make infrastructure, you keep people safe, and you make the bicycle the fastest way from A to B, and that's going to get people on bikes. That they afterwards feel a sense of, you know, happiness or contentment that is a massive benefit. It's not the primary reason to ride a bike. That's what the subcultures want you to believe because that's it's their drug, it's their addiction. Um, regular people, they just want to get quickly from A to B, right? People, what, today in Copenhagen, what, 400,000 people riding bikes for transport, more than in the entire United States put together in just one city, right. uh, let alone other cities like Amsterdam and all that. But like, do they all, are they all like, you know, smiling and waving? No, they're just going to work, going to education, going to the supermarket, to the cinema, to the Tinder date, away from the Tinder date because it failed miserably, whatever, right? Do they feel measurable, you know, contentment? Does it give them some kind of a health benefit that they are out in the fresh air interacting? Yes, we are, that's, that's all been measured, but it's not the primary thing. That, that, I mean, that you feel beautiful on your bike. I just think that's awesome. It is you know, not and only that. The second motivation is, I think, um, also from my ladies from all over around the world. Uh, I can't, I'm not talking only from Milan, about Milan or Turkey, but all the cities in Northern America or in um, Sweden, for example, mm. we have the rights. Um, women tell me that they feel happy um so that feeling of happy as soon as they get on the saddle of a bicycle that they feel easy 
Um, this is something that we are missing throughout the day because we all have problems. I mean, we have so many reasons to be sad, but still there is that time of the day that we have that commute or is this, that simple ride that we are doing it in 10 minutes and 15 minutes, but that time belongs to us. And that time is quality time mm -hmm. with us. And we feel good. I mean, that's hormones, for example, that we produce. I don't remember the name. Yeah, <laughs> I think endorphins. endorphins yeah, yeah. That thing, I mean, of course we cannot use that word to promote cycling. I mean, that makes everything too, too complicated. But yeah. we say, get on a saddle and you will have your best smile on your face. And people do that for us. No. But it's also for me, I have 10 kilometers commute to our office. I don't do that to become healthy. Mm. It's just, it makes me feel good. I arrive happily to work and uh, because I know I have to face so many problems in the office throughout the day, but that 10 kilometers that my half an hour is for me and I will have it while I'm risking my life. Yeah, well, Milan's <laughs> not that bad, but it's still not that yeah. great either. So let's just make sure that we're, we're, we're not disagreeing at all because I just think like if you want to get people to ride bikes, you need infrastructure, they need to feel safe and you have to keep them safe and you make the bicycle the fastest way from A to B. I just said that. I know uh, getting them onto a bike ride like yours, you know, selling the joy and the feeling That's and smile it. and wave and that whole big bundle of goodness that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, as, yeah. as a first step, I don't want to get on a bike. Okay, get on this bike with us, girlfriend, we're going right. to ride. And then of course, then they sense that and then it can continue right. from there. But I mean, yeah. if you want to, really make a bicycle friendly city you need the infrastructure of course but that's correct but i like your point that yeah this, the ones that the ladies you know are the one you got them on the bike and they started uh smiling this is it i mean this is how we sell the ride uh mm. come and have party with us uh come and uh, you are going to have a great day great ride great event with us because our target group is those who are not cycling every day um or maybe they the last time they cycled was in their childhoods and they never had the courage because they're afraid of the traffic or dark streets or because there is no infrastructure. But that day they feel safe. So they participate the event with super fancy clothes, uh, which you would never put on actually. But they see the point because when I say that you have to come to the meeting point, which is in the city center and in bigger cities like Izmir, Istanbul, Ankara, they already have to cover 10 kilometers to arrive to the meeting just point. Just to get, yeah, wow. To, just to get there. So I cannot, I mean, that experience that, first of all, they have to have to find the uh, working bicycle. So because that's the first examination, you well, know, it's you kind know. of important, isn't it? To have a bicycle. <laughs> yeah, but Michael, I mean, imagine you have not been cycling for 20 years yeah. and one day you just want to be in that picture and say, OK, shit, I have to find a bicycle. Yeah. You ask your neighbor, you get from those that small bicycle from your from your son, for example, which is not suitable for yourself to make those distances. But anyway, you find that horrible mountain bike, which was in the cellar for so many years. You, you do not know how to make the maintenance. So that's making some strange noises. You think that, okay, I cannot do this distance on bicycle, so I have to take the metro or a train or a boat, like in Izmir, for example. That's already a learning process because you have to 
search for how to get on a metro with a bicycle. Do I have to pay for it? Do I have to respect the hours? Or you want to use the train, you have to know which wagon you have to... People normally do not know these things because they never use that service. So you're learning how to use the services. Then you find out that you're not allowed to get on an elevator with your bicycle. This is the first thing that you put on your list to ask to your mayor the next elections that you're going to have in your city. The next step is, okay, I arrived to the arrival, the starting point of the event. I did this right. Oh, I had a lot of fun. Shit, it's dark. I have to put back to home all alone. How am I going to do this? <laughs> and you find out that the streets are dark. There is no bicycle lane. That there is no services. Oh, you had a puncture. <laughs> it's your problem. You know, all these are an experience. If it's positive, that woman next day takes the bike and goes work. I know that. If it's negative, she's going to leave that bike there and she's not going to take it for the next year. Um, or that woman becomes an advocate in her city. This is what I see in these 150 cities this year. The, I normally choose from the applicants. Uh, I have an interview with them. And uh, if she is a hard bicycle activist for over five years, I ask to step down because she's already doing so many things in her city. She has this community that she's talking always to the same people. But I want a housewife who never did advocacy because I want to talk to those women in her network. So I take the woman who has never been a part of association, platform, group, community, has nothing to do with cycling because her learning process helps her community learn that. The first picture, the first experience, the first invitation from the city hall that she's for the first time included to the decision process because they have to do some you know surveys and public opinion these things so she's invited or the first interview with a journalist or and the first time in her life so all these things help me and her to create a new advocate or an activist. So this is how Fancy Room Bike Ride works. But here I have a very important question. This big community is asking, okay, how are we going to keep in touch? But how are we going to do something during the year, something uh, that can have an impact? So Cycle Shake is, has ever looked for a bigger impact on advocacy? I mean, there was and still is, but a network. Like I said, we had a Cycle Chic Vloggers Conference in Barcelona. We had a few bike rides. I did one in Mexico City. We did a couple in Rio de Janeiro because the guy in Rio was a real uh, one of the top uh, Cycle Chic Vloggers. Um, I've done some other ones as well, I seem to recall. But I never, you know, I was always busy working. You know, I had to do other stuff. And, um, and I started the company Copenhagenized. So, a lot of, you know, I never had time to dedicate myself only to Cycle Chic. Sold a lot of merchandise, you know, T-shirts and bike stickers and all of that. The potential was and still is absolutely great, you know. I just never really had the time to take it to wherever the hell it should go. I am, you know, a real idealist. I just like the fact that all these people came from all over the world and mostly women uh, bloggers and said, hey, can I start one? And I went, yeah. So just go out and do that. And we made a rule, we made a set of rules. If you're going to start a blog, you know, um, no spandex, you know, no helmets, uh, sort of things that 
that I that are important to me. No, we're not talking about that. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> I, have, I have a TED talk for uh, about helmets. So you can look it up. Yeah, but um, so I just sort of let it run its course and let people, you know, and then you see people fade away. You know, one of the blogs, oh, two months and they're gone. Somebody six years and then they kind of fade out. And other people pick up where we left off. You know like you, you know, with the fancy woman bike ride. It's the best thing ever to see that thing that you do grow because it's the same, same, but different, right? It's, it's still selling cycling in the way that I believe that we should sell cycling to the 99%, not to the spandexy dudes, to the everybody. I mean, you're focusing on women when it's yours. Um, but I mean, you know, it's the 99%, men or women, you know, yes, um, so that, that you continue to do what you do is for me that's just great so like you know in the spirit of cycle chic whether you call it fancy woman bike ride or whatever it continues um and there are still some blogs amsterdam cycle chic's pretty big on um, yeah yeah on, on instagram uh where else hungary they're kind of doing mm -hmm. some stuff but yeah it's kind of faded a bit right but hey you know i post stuff on the instagram for cycle chic republic uh once in a while so it's still there we're we're, we're not done yet but we're so far advanced compared to when I started all this back in 2006. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even when I published the book, Cycle Chic, this photo book. I have that one as well. Cool. <laughs> of course you do. Um, but I remember one of the reviews in some American magazine or something. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the little chapter where there's a whole bunch of girls with high heels on, that was a bit, a bit of a, you know, a long stretch. Like, really? He must have really struggled to find those photos. And I'm going, oh, my God, you know. This is Copenhagen. High heels are a, were back then certainly a completely normal thing. You know, like it's, it was an American perspective, and that always screws things up. Generally, with urban cycling, is the American perspective, where in Europe it just seems to have been embraced, and in Turkey and other parts of the world, right? Um, yeah, Izmir, for example, when we started it, um, we, people asked us, "What are these five thousand women doing on the fancy women ride in a city alone?" And uh, so, when you have the microphones of the journalists in front of you, you have to say something very smart. And that day, we changed our approach and said, "Okay, it's not anymore showing that we can." cycle with any kind of clothes but we should also ask something so that was the evolution of the movement or becoming a movement asking for safe infrastructure and services for us and one day car free in a year so Izmir had it after five years we have the biggest boulevard in our city close to the traffic because there are so many cyclists that they have to close it to the cars cool there are, for example, Paris is holding, holding the fancy women bike ride. What do they ask? They ask for public space, more public space. There are cities like India asking for a single cycle path, for example. Or in Canada, we have it in Toronto, they ask for other things. But at the end, fancy women bike ride became an occasion for women to ask for things. So most related to public space and cycling and visibility. So at the, at the end of the day, what I see is people are, women are looking for space, for visibility to show that they're there and they want to be considered by anyone. And for, especially from the decision makers. So That's so awesome that you not made it political, but made it into a, a goal-oriented advocacy. Uh, you know, let's all wave and smile and enjoy our day with our, our, our female friends. But you know what? 
at the end of the day, we want this, right? That's so cool that you uh, developed that. So the things that we ask, we don't mention them before the event. So we promote the event. We get those massive amount of people in the streets. And then comes the TV. Of course, they don't want to miss the critical mass of the cycle shake. So they come and then they say, what do you want, you ladies? And then we have a list with 10 different things and we just read them. Cool. This is how it works. And it, and it works. It works. And it works. Like, the, you know, the, these demands Things are heard. Things are changing. Yeah. yeah, I'm included. For example, I, I do not belong to a foundation, to an association. I'm not the leader of anything. But every time the municipality uh, wants to involve the citizens to a decision-making process, Pina Pinsuti is invited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's interesting. I've never wanted to be a member of anything. You know, I've been asked to be this and that cycling federation. And, oh God, I can't no. be bothered, man. No. You got, we got more power just by showing what we, you know, what we do on, on social media, pushing yeah. buttons, irritating politicians. Oh, that's the only thing I like about Twitter. Twitter's just so boring. It's like, so like angry, but it's, it's a great place to yeah, just but push it's some also buttons. It's time to find a new platform because mm. people are leaving Facebook. For example, this is the, what I see during the years. We promoted the event on Facebook all these years with groups, pages and events and everything. Instagram is very limited. Mm. You cannot create an event on Instagram, for or, example. Or a group. Yeah. Or a group. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is, mm, oh no, <laughs> it's better to avoid it. So we need an... We need a new social <laughs> platform. <laughs> Donald Trump's starting one. I don't know if that's interesting. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, <laughs> truth or whatever he's going. Yeah. We had fancy women bike ride in Copenhagen this year. That was the entire city all at once. But yeah, that's what we do no, every day. No, those I'm joking. Those were the women on cargo bikes. Maybe oh, yeah. you know the lady, but they have done something super fun. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember that. Don't worry. Yeah. So the picture we had from Copenhagen from you for the first event now, we have the event hosted in Copenhagen after nine years. Cool. High five. <laughs> now, I've seen, I did some cycle chic bike rides um, and what you do is absolutely amazing. I was just trying to think of other events that I've seen that are pretty cool. And I can't think of very many because so many of them become kind of dorky. There's the Tweed ride, which is like Brexit. It's kind of you like- You have some... to pay to participate. Okay, so there's this that. Is, this is but the I, idea. Wait, I don't know anybody who owns Tweed in Denmark. So like, I, it's like just the Tweed <laughs> thing is like super British. You know, I don't even, I don't understand mm -hmm. how that travels, but, and it, but it's fun. There's a lot of people doing it and it's a great little community and they all do their thing. That's great. The one that I remember, that was pretty cool. It was in Latvia, in Riga. It only lasted a few years, but they have a flower festival generally in Latvia every year. It's a big thing. And then they combined it with a bike ride and everybody had to decorate their bikes with flowers. And then somebody would win. And this one woman, I mean, it was insane. It looked like a peacock. It was a beautiful bike with all of these fresh flowers. Um, that bike ride I was on, that was really kind of cool. Uh, but it's kind of really interesting how we've been all doing this for so many years. And there's not a lot of, really accessible mainstream 99 percent uh cycling events you know like the ones i used to do and the one that you're doing now with 
great success. You know, there's still some work to do. There is, for example, some cities where they are already building some infrastructure, but you also had some projects. The City Hall organizes bike rides to promote the new infrastructure. What they do, and what I think is very wrong, that at the beginning of the ride, they put these horrible t-shirts all the same on all the participants, for example. Why do I have to put on something which is cheap and ugly to ride a bicycle? Yeah. And those pictures are horrible and I would never use them, for example, because we all look the same, but I don't want to look similar to anyone. I want to be me. Of course. So yeah. this is maybe we can leave it as a message to anyone who wants to organize a massive ride. Please do not make people look all the same. Yes. <laughs> Encourage individuality, which is what our society is all about, right? This is I mean, what yeah. we are looking for. Because this. all the hardcore cyclists, the subcultures want you to look the same. You have to have spandex like me. You have to have a bike like me. You have to have gear like me. This is their whole little subculture. It's all like everybody has to look the same. You can't ride a bike if you don't have this on, man, because I bought this. This is a new model. Eh. Oh, dude, man, you just need a vintage bike from the 1950s and you're riding a bike. That's all you need. Nothing else. But what is the goal? Yeah. You're having a 10th anniversary, but where do you see this going? Because it's been such a massive success <laughs> and continues to be yeah. so. Um, I remember the first year, uh, the ladies who were organizing this ride in their cities, they were young and beautiful. Now they're married with two children. <laughs> And having always less time to dedicate to this social event. Um, me as well. I mean, I, I'm getting older, so my peer group is changing. But I want more younger women getting on the bicycles uh, and engaging. TikTok. Their, Go to TikTok. Engaging That's what I'm telling their, you. <laughs> yeah. Engaging their, their community and their peers. So the ideas we have been already uh, translating. We have a manual, for example, because I cannot tell everyone how to do the events uh, all the time on the phone. So uh, the first manual was published in uh, five years ago in Turkish then in Italian in English in French in Spanish we have and in Portuguese yes so uh, when somebody applies uh, to host event in her city the first thing that we ask is look we're not going to give you any money you have to dedicate your time and maybe a little bit of your money to host the event and they accept it so I give the manual and tell her read it through and follow all the steps to have a successful event in your city. This worked until now, but I see, for example, since we are missing the content, the digital content in Japanese and in Chinese and in some other languages, we don't have the event because people don't understand it. They see the photo, but they don't know how to do that. Uh, so I want to make it more accessible, uh, translating the content in many other languages. Uh, until this year, we said, we are a grassroots movement. We don't accept any sponsor, but I think I'm going to change this approach as well. We need some um, budget, financial support to create this material, the visual and written material. Too. Or you or, activate your network because I wrote a book and self-published it called a, sh a short introduction to bicycle urbanism for people who don't give a fuck. And I you, translated and it. And you translated <laughs> it into Turkish. Turkish. Your husband translated it into Italian. Thank you, Paolo. Uh, and I just got a whole bunch of people to translate it into a whole bunch of languages. I, I was so, so surprised that people wanted to do it. Come on. Again, listeners, if anybody is really digging this content 
and you want to translate the manual into one of the languages that Pinar doesn't have it translated into, again, link in the description to the website and you can contact her there. Of course, you know, somebody's got to be out there who can whip up the, the manual in Chinese, Japanese, whatever other languages uh, that you need, right? Yeah, correct. This is the network. This is what this, we, this is, is this is the beauty of this network that you have and that I had with and I also still have with Cycle Chic is that it's just a bunch of people who believe Look, in the same thing. The biggest benefit of having something without any brand logo on it is that uh, ma mass media, the traditional media, takes you as a notice, as, as a news, sorry, it was Italian, news. So if you, because anything that there is a logo on it, it becomes a festival or an event. If you don't have any logo on an event, then it becomes news. Mm -hmm. That's why we had coverage of The Guardian, New York Times and everything. So I wouldn't, I don't want to lose that, for example. I want to remain as news. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, I made a logo for Cycle Chic at some point because it was becoming so massive. And then we made like a template for logos. So if you wanted to start Rio de Janeiro Cycle Chic, there was a specific font, but it wasn't really a logo. It was just, well, it was a logo. But it wasn't really, mm -hmm. you know, corporate sounding. You made me doubt everything that I did. But I, I'm, I'm still good with uh, the, I, the visual identity. You go onto mm -hmm. a blog and you're saying, oh, this is the same family as the guy in Copenhagen. Uh, and now it's here in Sydney or wherever. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, no, that's an interesting point, right? If it looks like an organization or an NGO, then it's different, right? Yeah. We have a logo as well, uh, um, which on a bicycle, by the way, <laughs> we have it. Uh, this is also still the stigmatization that man has given to women. We are witches because we have our own opinions on different things, on certain things. So that's that's the reason why it's a witch. The brand logo that I meant as sponsors, we never had any cosmetic firm, which were, they, they were very much interested to give their testers during the event. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by L'Oreal. Hey, yeah. No, don't tell that word. No, no, not that word. Okay. I was making fun of them. I can say that I was making fun of them. No, what the Red Bull did in Izmir, I mean, they knew about the event. They contacted us. They Red said Bull. We this is the most low testosterone event in, in, in cycling history, right? Look, yeah, I mean, Michael, sort of I mean, they contacted me and they said, oh, we want to give away free drinks during the ride. I said, no, thank you. Uh, we don't need it. Uh, this is three kilometers ride and we don't, people bring their own drink, uh, etc. What they did was they came and uh, secretly and they have done this super commercial photos with the ladies putting, they put these cans in the baskets of the bicycles and uh, made these photos. Oh. And then the news was Red Bull organized the fancy room. Get out. Ride. That's so irritating, <laughs> So these things happen. Yeah. Wow, that is... <laughs> Oh, I want to smack them now. Come on, that's stupid. You know, especially with they got the credit afterwards, not just showing up and hacking the event for their own corporate gain, mm. but yeah, oh uh, man, that's irritating. Yeah. But at the end, of the I mean, if we are running out of time, I just want to say thank you to the photographers who really followed this event all these years, dedicating so many hours, also the post-production part. And... Uh, they never asked for money. They said, "This is these are the albums. They have sent us through a WeTransfer or they created these albums on social media and said, you can use them because you're doing something so beautiful. Close it, yeah, five minutes or two minutes. Two. Okay. Yeah. So 
thanks to all photographers uh, who were with us in all these cities, all these years, taking these beautiful pictures and giving, the, giving us to us. That's amazing. I can tell you from taking 30,000 photos over the past 15 years, I never get tired of it. Uh, so I can totally understand that these photographers just show up and enjoy taking the beautiful photos that we see on your social media of women waving and smiling. Come on. You know, yeah. it, it, it just I mean, just me taking photos of like miserable Copenhageners in the in the snowstorm is still like a joy for me. So photographing cycling, man, it's just uh, it, it, it's continues to be a joy for me. So I totally get these photographers just going, yeah, this yeah. is good. This is important. I enjoy taking photos of it. So. We're at the Design Museum in Milan and they're closing now, so we have to go and eat dinner. Yes. It's, uh, it's what you do in Italy. Well, I think people eat dinner everywhere, but okay. Uh, it just feels like a real <laughs> Italian event that we have to go eat an Italian dinner or something. We had so. aperitivo and now we're going to cena. See, si, certo. <laughs> Pinar, I love your work. I love you so much and all the work that you're doing for cycling. And uh, I'm really glad that we get this out on the podcast to talk about, you know, the 99% cycling for the future and the past. This we all, I mean, all these women rode bikes, all their mothers and grandmothers rode yeah. bikes. So all we're doing is going back to the future, right? So uh, keep it up, girl. Don't get too tired. Keep on, keep it on. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. High five. You've been listening to The Life-Sized City, my podcast about urbanism and urban change. As ever, this episode was produced thanks to red wine and coffee. The music was composed by Phil Creamer. Check out his website at www.hereonout.ca. I'm Michael Koval-Anderson. Thanks for listening.